welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight on the podcast, we're talking about loneliness and how technology can help, and also habits of highly polished people. The Myers Cocktail, Nutrition Scams, and more. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. And now, Maureen's Health Headline. Loneliness can affect anyone, but for Canadian newcomers, the feeling of isolation can be especially pronounced. A recent Stats Canada report revealed that one in five Canadians aged 65 or older experience loneliness, with immigrant seniors being even more vulnerable to this emotional challenge. We know being socially connected helps us live longer, healthier, and happier lives, but the consequences of COVID still permeate. Joining me on the line to talk about this is Christopher Doyle. He's managing director of Nextdoor in Canada and former head of partnerships for Twitter Canada, now called X. Good evening, Christopher. How are you? Hi, doing good, Maureen. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for joining the program. So loneliness. Loneliness can lead to elevated blood pressure and even early death, which surprises a lot of people. And a lot of people struggle with this loneliness. Why is it that um, we're still having loneliness after the pandemic? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. And I was actually just reading the other day that the Surgeon General in the United States actually has uh, proclaimed loneliness an epidemic. And we're seeing the same thing here in Canada. And in my theory around it is that, you know, technology has connected us in so many really, really valuable ways. But unfortunately, it can't replace the in real life connection that humans crave, right? And so we actually did a study um, a few years ago that found that knowing as few as six of your neighbors actually reduces the likelihood that you're going to feel those feelings that you were talking about that, you know, we know that loneliness is linked to um, depression and social anxiety. And even just knowing people around you um, is going to help. It's going to help reduce a lot of those, those symptoms. So, you know, I think that, you know, we've all come out of a pandemic and I think in many ways it kind of almost exacerbated a lot of the, maybe the, um, the isolation that people were feeling, especially the most vulnerable, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, we're re- really on a mission to uh, to do our part to actually um, connect people locally um, to help reduce those risks to loneliness. And we'll get to next door very shortly. And you mentioned how just small neighborly actions, one of them in particular, just knowing six of your neighbors, which is unusual for a lot of people these days, because we're so connected, we're almost disconnected actually from human beings. And we don't don't just need our family or close friendships. We need that social connectedness within our own community. So what is the role of social media and technology in combating loneliness and isolation? Yeah, I think one of the things that, that we've seen is that, you know, there's sort of been a tendency over the years for these platforms to to sort of um, tend to err on the side of an algorithm that's going to just feed engagement at all costs, right? And so, you know, we all know probably why they're doing this, you know, in a lot of times, in a lot of cases, it's just to get more views and to get more clicks, and then that's going to be monetized. So I think that what, what I've really um, come to learn is that, you know, social platforms can be used for good, right? And we can use them in ways that, that can connect authentically and, and, and in real and by authentic in this case, I mean really hyper local, really. And it's this idea too of this asset based community development where really it's an idea that you can connect the needs that people have in the local community to the resources that are the closest by. And, you know, that's really where we see this isolation and loneliness really um, being a problem that, you know, we, we'd like to tackle because again, it's about 
as you're saying, like it's about knowing someone just down the street that can help and run and go get a prescription for me. You know, during COVID, that was where our most vulnerable neighbors, our elderly, they were really needing help to go, you know, can someone run out to the grocery store, pick up a few essential items? Can someone go out and, and you know, maybe get this prescription for me? And that's where you really need to be connected to someone locally, like on your street. And then that builds bonds. Um, and then as we've seen too, as you're mentioning, there's even small acts too, like even beyond just going to, you know, do a grocery run for someone, you know, just waving hello across the street, you know, can really just make someone feel connected. And it's that social connection that I think we're missing right now. Absolutely. We have somebody on our street who is just wonderful, lives alone, uh, helps a lot out, you know, with um, the pets <laughs> on the street. Yeah. And, you know, everyone cares for this person and, and thinks the world of this particular person and looks out um for them as well and so i i understand that that small those small neighborly things which you think aren't much um can really go a long way in terms of combating loneliness for people to know that they're cared about um but loneliness can lead to symptoms too uh, you mentioned depression but it can lead to symptoms of sadness or physical aches and pains um low self-esteem and, and even feelings of de- uh, thinking about death by suicide um, in the most extreme cases. And and loneliness is just pervasive and just getting so much worse. Tell me first a little bit about um, what exactly Nextdoor is and what it's aiming to do. Yeah, for sure. So Nextdoor is a, it's a neighborhood network, really. It's essentially the place where you connect with all the neighborhoods that matter to you. You know, that might be the neighborhood where you live, of course, primarily, but also maybe the one where you work or maybe where your parents live, right? And so it's really a place that we found neighbors are turning to to get information, get trusted information. There's also um, there's a help map there. That's where I was talking about that asset-based community development where you can actually get connected to help in your neighborhood. So neighbors are offering to help you on, on a map that's localized to your area. And then really when we talk about loneliness, it's all about those real-world connections. So again, we're the type of app that, you know, we, we're, we're fine if you put down your phone and you're going to meet your neighbor in real life. So for all kinds of different reasons, whether it's interest-based, like there's tons of walking groups in my neighborhood, also like running groups, also like knitting groups and gardening groups, so built around interests, right? There's a book club as well. So it's connecting neighbors who sort of have like a like-minded interest, I guess, and really just getting to know people locally and making those real real-life connections. So, And that's really the mission of what we want to do is just to cultivate a kinder world and you know, I think when we say kind, maybe sometimes that gets misrepresented, but it's being respectful of everyone that you live around, but also just getting to know people in real life. And I experienced that myself uh, living in the suburb area where, you know, we lived here for, for 15 years or so. And we knew our immediate neighbors, like right beside us fairly well, but we didn't really know anyone on our street. And so that's kind of what we're trying to do. We're trying to get you connected. Um, and there was always like, you know, we'd meet uh, neighbors. It'd be this aha moment of sorts where we'd you know, run into uh, to, to people that lived near us, but we didn't know, but it was through our, either our kids' school or through sports or music. And there's sort of like this aha moment, like, oh my gosh, you live on my street. I had no idea that we, you know, that, that you lived just down the road from us. So that's what we're aiming to do is just sort of get that connection built back because we know, um, as we were saying earlier, that it's that social fabric uh, and all the studies have shown that when people are connected as a community, they're better off on every single metric. Um, and including including loneliness, of course. Are you lonely? Because we're talking about loneliness. It is an epidemic these days, and it can cause physical and mental symptoms. It can also lead to hypertension and even early death. And it is one of the saddest things ever. And I think in part 
because we are so disconnected from other people because we're connected to our devices. But there is a new app, a new networking app called Nextdoor. And joining me on the line is Christopher Doyle. He has stayed from the first segment. He's the managing director of Nextdoor in Canada and former head of partnerships for Twitter Canada. Now you might know that as X. And we are talking about neighborly actions and the app and how that can help you and and the people you love live a more connected life. Thanks so much for staying on the line, Christopher. Of course. Good now, I'm familiar you. I'm familiar with Nextdoor. <laughs> and Great. you know, it I wondered if it started out um how it has become. And so some of the things that I've noticed about Nextdoor is that um people give give things away. They sell things mm-hmm. as well. Things that they no longer need or desire. Um, also, they um, it, it allows people to meet online, but then meet in person as well. I see people saying, oh, okay, I'll drop this off to you at, at such and such a time, or, you know, I can help out with this or that. People are looking for jobs. People are posting jobs on there. That's That's kind of some of the things that I'm seeing. Is that what the intention was? It was, yes, absolutely. It was really to connect you to everything and anything like hyper local. So, you know, when you think about the other platforms, uh, they might be built around friend, your friend graph, we'd say, or your, your interest graph, maybe, or your work, you know, people that you've worked with. But this is really about the people that you live near and all built around proximity. So really kind of a different way to, to look at a network. And I think you're exactly right. Like we, we see that all the time too, that, you know, there's a lot of, I guess we would call it utility that comes with that, where just as you mentioned, people, especially with cost of living being on, on top of mind for every single person, but also especially families these days, right? It's like mm-hmm. everything is so expensive. And so the secondhand market is being turned to more and more. We saw that around the back to school season as an example, where, you know, parents are spending less. We know from, from the facts of, um, of, of Stats Canada surveys, they're spending less on clothes, they're spending less on, on supplies. Um, and they were turning to next door um, for the secondhand market. And that's actually where the benefit is, is like, you know, I don't have to drive an hour away from my home or, and, you know, there's like uncertainty around kind of someone coming to my house or whatnot. It's like it's someone nearby. And we've done um, a great job at next door of ensuring that people like are using their real name and their real address. So there's a certain verification that happens. So there's mm-hmm. a trust that's built essentially amongst neighbors. And then actually, too, we see all kinds of stories. And maybe you've seen these as well, perhaps, in your neighborhood. I've seen them in my neighborhood where people are meeting over, you know, I know uh, with school uniforms in my neighborhood where people just, they're like, oh, my gosh, these uniforms are expensive. And, like, my girls have just graduated, so now I'm going to, you know, you're meeting a family that you didn't know, but they've gone to the same school. And it's like connecting people nearby. So there's a certain mm-hmm. camaraderie that's built to it as well. And, again, it's all about that in-person interaction, you know. And I've had it in my neighborhood too, around especially around, uh, like I'd say, like event-driven things, like snow. Like when there's a huge snowstorm, you're sort of out <laughs> in the out in the driveway. You're helping out neighbors. If someone's lucky enough to have a snowblower, they're helping out neighbors. Everyone's chatting and waving, and that's kind of I think also those are types of the events that bring neighbors together. Right? Absolutely. And people are also also looking for advice. I know that um, recently I saw something about somebody asking if they know an auto body shop that has reasonable pricing or somebody else was leasing a new car. Did they need to buy the car replacement insurance? I've seen warnings about bears walking down the street in my neighborhood, um, you know, letting people know. And, you know, so it has been uh, quite a great service. Um, you get You get notifications. Is it another way though for us to check we're checking facebook linkedin twitter instagram <laughs> next door does it have the you know how how much of being online in general for our lives 
or is this kind of one-stop shop that actually relates to people's real life versus something like Instagram, where much of it is fake, much of it is now sponsored. And mm -hmm. so you just know people are trying to, you know, influencers that are trying to hack people and, you know, trying to sell them something. Um, you know, how much, is there a risk that this is just another way that uh, for us to disconnect? No, I think like you hit on a key point there, like the, that I see anyways, is that Nextdoor is real, like it's a real platform. So it's because it's real people around you. And, you know, the recommendations that you, you mentioned is a really key part of it, because it's all built around positivity. Too. It's built around like, you know, this business is getting my recommendation because they do really, really quality work. And a lot of it mm -hmm. is things that matter to people in the home, whether it's like a trusted you know, plumber or a tradesperson to come by. And, you know, a, a recommendation from a neighbor is super, super valuable, right? And it, and it means a lot. And I've even had people come by and when they've done, you know, work in my, in my house or whatnot, I actually we had an emergency leak that I needed to work on. And I said, hey, my neighbors recommended you on next door. And right. that meant a lot to them. Like, I almost feel like they wanted to do even a better job to live up to the recommendation too. But so yes. it's like, I was like, wow, that helped me. But it also helped them because, you know, neighbors talked about the good good work that they did and, and recommended them so it's kind of got like that google search built right into the app with what you're mentioning and so it's like you know i can search for all those types of things i can search for an interest group near me if i'm interested in meeting someone going for a walk a lot of actually people have said to uh, i've seen posted around here too is like people are like I, I don't feel safe necessarily walking in my neighborhood anywhere across canada and so is anyone willing to walk with me and then these walking support groups are formed and so people are meeting people, but they're also staying safe. So there's this like utility built in, like I was saying, where it is though built all around proximity and geography, which I think is really the unique thing about it. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know, I, I'll be honest, I um, got, I saw on Nextdoor, a physician had recommended a physiotherapist. And I thought, you know what? I mean, I, I knew the physician and I'm like, I'm going to go to that physiotherapist. And, and he has been awesome. And then I told him <laughs> how I came to see him as well. He had no idea that, um, and somebody just had made a comment, you know, there's physiotherapy here and this fellow is outstanding. And, you know, so that is, has also been um, great. You know, I've certainly benefited from it and it's just kind of nice to know what's going on in the neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> if Absolutely you if you want to be a nosy neighbor, <laughs> but um, <laughs> well, online yeah. that's what like you want the inside scoop on what's happening. I think too, and that's the thing about it too is that you know a lot of these platforms that you mentioned earlier are kind of performative. <laughs> I like to say in things like people are, you know, is it real? Is it not real? What people are posting, right? But this is like you know this is not a place where you have to kind of go on and like you know have a voice and create content and, and all that like you'd see on mm -hmm. other platforms. It's like yeah. you can go on and just get real information. Like, you know, I'm seeing it the other day, like, you know, um, what is this road closure all about? Does anybody know? And then people are chiming in. And I'm like, that's super valuable to me because I go to the grocery store down that way every time. So, you know, it's yeah, interesting absolutely. to know what's happening in your neighborhood, uh, right? I, like it, it is connecting people that way. Yeah. That's right. I've certainly seen when there's um, traffic jams and that kind of thing. How yeah. are new Canadians and senior Canadians, how have they been using Nextdoor to transition into their new lives? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm glad you asked about that because it's been like a, the strongest use case probably for Nextdoor outside of the recommendations you were talking about that I've seen in Canada is really for, for newcomers. And I, it's all I built, uh, I believe through word of mouth. And we actually find too that um, people that neighbors that use Nextdoor are more likely not to use other social media apps. And, but for, for newcomers, it's just been a lifeline for them because when they're coming in new to a community, 
they need to know practical things like, you know, um, how do I sign my kid up for school? Where is a doctor's office that's accepting new patients, you know? Um, how can I meet people nearby? Like, I'm, I'm just getting settled in. Like, what do I need to know about where I live? And this has been a valuable resource for them. And then I think on the senior side, too, it's been a great community builder, right? Like, they're able to, again, meet people that um, have interests similar to, to theirs. But also, you know, it's been interesting. It's been able to connect needs to um, talents as well, like I was saying earlier. So there was one um, anecdote I could share that, you know, there was an, um, a retired nurse that lived down the street and there was a new mom who was having trouble breastfeeding and they got connected. And like, what a great pairing that was because she was able to help her and they were able to meet and, and create a friendship. There's another Absolutely. neighbor who just, yeah, there was another neighbor who was just, he was just honestly feeling um, lonely and isolated and just asked, um, he was retired and was living by himself. Just asked, would anyone like to join me in, uh, for breakfast on Friday mornings? And three people showed up. The next week, there was nine people. And then they just created this little breakfast club. <laughs> and so it was all just connected by nearby. And, and I really do think that the trust part and the trust aspect of it really comes into play because you're, you're kind of showing up on the platform as you would to a neighborhood barbecue, for example. You know, like you wouldn't use a fake name. You wouldn't some, say some fake story. You would say... I'm Christopher. I live on the street. I'm here. I live here with my family. You know, like you would represent yourself in, in the way that's authentic. So that's what I think Absolutely. it's all about, just building those connections. We all know them, those highly polished people, those people who seem to have it all together and then some. Well, you know what? They didn't just get there. They have particular habits. Yes, those highly polished people have habits that will set you apart. But I'm going to share with you those habits. First of all, let's start with what does it mean to be a highly polished person? When we think of highly polished people, we're probably thinking of people who are beautiful. They always smell great. They dress incredibly well. They're the real life embodiment of the perfectly painted nails emoji. But is that what highly polished people are? No, it's not just about the looks. Beauty is only skin deep. Being highly polished is a state of mind, a personality, and a lifestyle. So what are the habits of highly polished people? Feel free to text in your thoughts on habits of highly polished people, one 9898 Well, from what I understand, highly polished people stick to a routine. As people, we typically are creatures of habits. One of my patients in my clinical practice said, every day I do the same thing. I get up, I have my coffee first thing. I do a little bit of exercise and then went on and on to carry on with the rest of the day. I mean, it's difficult when you can't be flexible either, but in order to have a healthy life, you got to have healthy habits as well. And that's what highly polished people tend to do. They develop these healthy habits and they stick to a routine. So a morning routine is great and it's great if you can get up, maybe first thing you need to do is take a shower or if you exercise in the morning, take a shower right after that. Uh, Maybe have your breakfast, have coffee, eat something healthy and before you head off to work or school. And, And by organizing simple everyday tasks, into a pattern that's easy, it helps you to stay healthy both mentally and physically because that exercise is so important. It's also really important to do that first thing in the morning if you can. And that also helps you to sleep better and manage your time better because you've gotten your exercise out of the way. You've eaten a healthy meal in the morning. You don't have too much coffee, but 
that simple healthy routine could be a good start for you if you want to become a uh, highly polished person. Also, these folks know how to dress, huh? Highly polished people are set apart from others because of how well they dress. It doesn't mean that they're always in fancy schmancy clothing. It, it just means they know how to put it together, you know, and it's that they know what colors work. They know what looks good on them. And that's not easy knowing what clothes to mix and match and what's appropriate. They, they always wear what is right for the season. And, you know, that is a bit of an art. I remember, you know, you know, with friends, you know, you're telling them, you know, this doesn't look good on you. This does look good on you. This flatters you. I've been seeing a lot of women on the menopause forums. They're talking about how they've gained weight during that transitional time in their lives and they don't know what to wear. And now they find they have to go to a wedding and they have nothing to wear and it's a few days before. And what are they going to do? Well, you know, it might be a little bit too late for the wedding, but it's a good idea not to get yourself in that position. We know that obesity is a disease and it's a multifaceted approach, but this is a good place to begin to just actually start with that simple morning routine and then, you know, start learning about what looks the best on you. Um, eating healthy is also really healthy as well because nobody likes regret. Nobody likes thinking, oh, I knew about this wedding a year ago and I promised myself I was going to take the weight off, but then just weren't disciplined. And discipline is another strategy for highly polished people as well. But before we get into discipline, confidence, and I talk about this quite a bit on my show, confidence is sexy. It's attractive. It's appealing. And it's not that ego. It's not that fake confidence. And it's not a trait. It's something that is developed over time. It's a skill. It's a habit that is adapted, albeit not all that easy. And you know what? You can't be self-confident in one area, or you can be self-confident, sorry, in one area, and then not be self-confident in another area. For example, public speaking. Not a lot of people are self-confident about public speaking, but they are incredibly self-confident perhaps in the workplace and in the, in the job that they're doing. Um, but being self-confident is really about attitude. You know, so some people, as I said, you might be comfortable enough or confident enough to speak in front of a crowd, um, able to socialize people they've only socialized with people they've only met. And, you know, navigate those awkward social situations. Whereas some other people, you know, have social anxiety. They don't really like to be in crowds. They don't like the small talk. And, you know, I don't think those highly polished people really engage too much in small talk, but they know what questions to ask. And, you know, I would suggest building your self-confidence is one of those skills, habits that is really worthwhile working on. And you may need some outside support to develop that self-confidence. You might just need a great support system. And um, that may be the case with highly polished people. They may be surrounded themselves with the right people, people who bring you up instead of people who bring you down instead of uh, to, in order to gain that self-confidence. You know, there's so many people out there trying to bring you down and it's best to hang out with people who bring you up. Also, hygiene is so important and it's a no-brainer for highly polished people. And you know what? Everybody must have good hygiene and these are habits to develop as well. Take that extra care of yourself. Be more meticulous about it. Make sure that you're, uh, you always look your best and that doesn't mean expensive. It just means you're put together, you wear nice clean clothes. My mother always said, you know, when we would say, 
one of four girls, <laughs> would say, what should I wear? She'd say, look your best. Nothing wrong with that. But you don't always have to overdress uh, or underdress as long as you're comfortable wearing what you're wearing and you feel like you look good in it and you feel self-confident in it. Very important as well in terms of hygiene to floss and brush your teeth twice a day at least. Um, and you know, just live a healthy lifestyle. You're less likely to contract viruses if you do that. And so having a healthy lifestyle cannot be overstated. It doesn't necessarily mean you got to get up at 6am, have an intense workout or drink a bunch of green juices, which you know, I'm not a huge fan of this whole detoxifying thing. Never mind all of that. It just means simply getting enough sleep, simply eating a healthy diet, managing your time well, trying to prevent burnout, the ability to say no. And, you know, none of us are perfect. And every once in a while, you got to eat the junk food and, you know, munch on the chips and eat the ice cream right out of the bucket. But um, in general, if 90% of your your time can be focused on a healthy lifestyle, that'll set you apart from people who have grown to develop that sedentary lifestyle. Take action in your own life. Be the CEO of your own life. It's so important. And you know what? Other things will flow. You know, strong social skills. Not everybody has that, but highly polished people do. And they know how to navigate different social situations. And they may actually be referred to as social butterflies, but they know how to ask the people the right question in a social situation. They know when it's their time to speak. And you, I bet you know people who speak out of turn or speak up too much, but, and also highly polished people carefully choose the right words to say in a given situation. So they can, they can work with different groups of people, different personalities. Um, they can be, you know, uh, very reserved when it calls for that. Um, but if they're at the bar, they also know how to let loose, let it all hang out but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are fake. But one thing that they are is polite. And you know, being polite, well-mannered is so important in society. It's really important in all social settings. It's just basically another no brainer. Um, even if there's somebody that they don't like, they can still be polite to that person. Um, and you know, at least make that effort to be polite because you know, sometimes people aren't polite back and you know what, that's fine. But if you make the effort, you get an A in my book. And, and being polite is a very good way to build rapport and gain people's respect, even with an unlikable person. They really don't see any rude, any reason to be rude unnecessarily. Even if they're offended, they'll let the other person know in the most polite way. And you know what? Sometimes you have to be able to speak up and that takes self-confidence or ask somebody not to discuss a particular subject or just say politely, you're not able to answer that question. So this is one other reason why so many people respect and admire people who are highly polished and why they're also perceived as non-judgmental people. But it's also important to teach your children to be polite. I think we've lost a little uh, bit of that, especially around social media. People who are highly polished typically are not judgmental. And you know what? It's hard not to be judgmental for people. I teach this all the time. I did a bunch of talks this week up in the South Okanagan. And, you know, especially in healthcare, we have to be inclusive, promote diversity, 
welcoming, non-judgmental to people, especially around sex and sexuality, because sexuality is so fluid. And we have to be accepting of people in healthcare. A lot of people have felt discriminated against or dismissed, uh, pe- women and people of LGBTQ2S plus uh, communities have felt that way in healthcare. So it's very, very important not to be judgmental. Um, it's, it's just such a bad habit and you know, it's just, it does not become you for sure. And it's a good idea to practice understanding and empathy and attempt to, uh, you know, really understand your patients if you're in healthcare and understand, you know, where people are coming from in particular. So gossiping, that's something else that highly polished people don't do. And that's difficult, especially in the workplace where there's a lot of gossiping going on, but it's very easy to just decide I'm not going to gossip. And I'm going to say to somebody, I would rather not engage in that conversation right now. I, you know, it's not my something very polite, trying to think of something off the cuff here, (laughs) um, in terms, and I've had to say it before. I really don't want to talk about somebody behind their back or somebody that's not here. And it can be very simple and you don't have to get angry and upset. Um, but speaking of the workplace, usually we think about polished people as those who have great achievements and who have reached their wildest dreams. And it's been also effortless for them. And they've been very lucky and that it was really easy, but that's not the case because highly polished people have a very good or an outstanding or an excellent work ethic. Highly polished people are disciplined and educated. And it's so important, uh, to maintain that and to remember that you got to work hard to get anywhere you want to go in life. Gentle reminder, I am a registered nurse as we dive into this next subject. I had a patient in my clinical practice who presented with a viral infection that causes a painful rash. She had been diagnosed with shingles. This is also associated with stress, depletion, not feeling well, and you can have symptoms of general malaise, fatigue, mild temperature, low-grade fever, Um, diarrhea, nausea, and just generally not feeling well, which she'd had at the beginning. But about a week or so had passed and she wasn't feeling any better. She'd actually come into my clinical practice to see me about something else. But of course, in my assessment of her, she told me that she had shingles. Shingles can occur anywhere on your body. It typically looks like a single strip of blisters that wraps around the left side or the right side of your torso. It's caused by the varicella zoster virus, the same virus that causes chickenpox. And this patient had been put on an antiviral medication, which was great. She was also taking a medication for the pain, which she was taking at night. But, you know, she hadn't stopped her life. And my recommendation for her was to, you know, get into bed actually chill out, get some rest, drink fluids, chicken noodle soup, take care of yourself, get a good book. Don't add anything on. Problem was she was having a party for 35 people that night. And then she happened to mention to me that she was going the next day to have an IV infusion, a Myers cocktail. Myers cocktails are popular formulas among complementary and alternative medicine providers for IV vitamin therapy. The Myers formula consists of high doses of vitamin B, vitamin C, all the variety of the vitamin Bs and minerals, magnesium, calcium, for example, and it's mixed with sterile water and administered intravenously by nurses or other healthcare providers. You see 
advertisements for IV rehydration at ski resorts and other resorts, and I see them on elevators and hotels, and they're mainly advertised or they're marketing them to people to treat hangovers. Um, I thought this patient would have been a whole lot better off to just stay home, take care of herself. She said she was feeling chilled, you know, just get under the covers. Instead of dragging her kids off for her to get some IV to the tune of 170 to $300, I would have even just canceled it and paid the money because it is completely unnecessary and wasn't going to do anything for her. You know, we want the quick fix in life and that's, that's the problem. Nobody wants to stop, rest, smell the roses, take a breather and take care of yourself. We think that an IV solution of a whole bunch of minerals and vitamins that is going to make us feel better, but it's not because our body needs only a certain amount. And if we get more than that, we just excrete it. So basically this patient was going to have expensive urine. The Myers cocktail has not been proven to effectively treat any medical condition. And despite the lack of evidence, you know, we do have healthcare people promoting the Myers cocktail as a definitive medical treatment. And if you're not in healthcare and you're not looking into this kind of thing, you're not going to understand that, you know, especially if you're looking for a quick fix, you're not going to understand that this isn't going to work. And you know, there's more disposable money today and, and people just think, oh great, that's all I have to pay, two, $300 and I'm going to feel better. But I don't think so. I'm going to be following up with this patient and I'll let you know how, how she made out. Um, you know, IV drips are low risk for most healthy people, but we do recommend against them, healthcare providers, mainly because they're expensive and unnecessary. There's nothing magical about getting vitamins in an IV. If you feel you want extra nutrition, take a vitamin, take a multivitamin if you like. If you have a headache, take a Motrin if you want, ibuprofen. Some people are intrigued by IV treatments that can supposedly cure a hangover, as I mentioned earlier. But um, you know what? Hangovers, they're not going to be cured by an IV solution either, to be honest with you. Getting IV fluids to make your headache, fatigue, and nausea, common symptoms of a hangover, may sound more appealing than lying in bed until those unpleasant symptoms pass, but there's no validity to this type of treatment. And then to just expand on this, some fabulous marketers have also created liquid IV. They're recommending you take that before consuming alcohol. So something else for you to consume, not just the alcohol, but just be the ultra consumer. So they're suggesting you take a liquid IV, which is basically a packet of minerals and vitamins. And, and as we know, they don't necessarily contain the nutrients that they say they're going to contain because these are not regulated. So these work similarly with vitamin water packs or sports drinks, which don't work either, to be totally honest with you. Best thing is to ensure hydration, drink enough water-based fluid so that your urine is clear 90% of the time and eat a healthy diet and actually drink in moderation. These IVs take anywhere from 15 to 90 minutes to complete, depending on how many bags they've sold you. Some patients feel the effects they say, this is what the marketers of the IV people, get a load of this. I love this one. <laughs> they say that some patients feel the effects four days to two weeks after the IV. You are long gone from the clinic. You have forgotten about your IV. There's a placebo effect. You've forgotten about your hangover. I mean, that's just outrageous. You've probably gone in, unless you're hungover, but um, you know, you're probably 
fairly well hydrated if you're a healthy person. Um, and, you know, we, we know that from our urine. So just take a look at your urine. If it's clear yellow and you're voiding regularly every three to four hours, you're probably pretty well hydrated. Um, but after the IV, you might actually pee just a little bit more and the urine might be a little bit clearer. Anyway, um, it's just ridiculous. You know, mild hydration makes up only one part of a hangover recipe, to be honest with you. And then you might have a placebo effect, might make the hangover symptoms a bit easier to manage. So if you do get that IV or you take this liquid IV, which you pour into water and drink that, and those are expensive as well. Um, but neither water nor electrolytes can prevent a hangover when you're drinking an excessive amount of alcohol. So two of the biggest disadvantages of the liquid IV, and that's the IV in the packet, and it comes in a number of different uh, names, brand names, but they have high sodium typically and high sugar levels. And adding an extra 500 to 1,000 milligrams of salt or more than 10 grams of sugar to your daily diet is really unhealthy and can be dangerous over the long term, and especially for people who are um, suffering with hypertension or they don't even know they have hypertension. They are also overpriced. As I said, they may not contain the ingredients um, that they say they are. And you know what? How much of each nutrient do you actually need? So for calcium, for example, you need 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams per day. That's the daily requirement you know, it's recommended not to have more than 2000 milligrams, folate, 400 micrograms. And it's recommended not to have more than a thousand micrograms because it can cause harm. Iron, eight milligrams is the daily requirement. You don't want to exceed 45 milligrams. Vitamin B6, 1.5 milligrams. And you don't want to exceed a hundred milligrams. And anything your body doesn't need, it's going to pee out. Like vitamin C, for example. Oh my gosh, I see so many people promoting vitamin C and people take so much vitamin C. They think it's going to prevent a cold and they think it's going to prevent a urinary tract infection. It can actually irritate your bladder, but you definitely don't want to take more than 2000 milligrams of vitamin C. So anyway, just be wise, be smart, and don't fall for these marketing schemes and scams, which are all over the internet. I wanted to talk to you about uh, COVID, something that a lot of people think has pretty much gone away, that we don't have to worry about it anymore. There's some vaccine fatigue going on. People are not appreciative of long COVID. We've had a messy rollout of this fall's new COVID vaccine, and I'm not calling it a booster on purpose. We've seen the COVID numbers spike in British Columbia and other provinces across the country ahead of uh, the fall respiratory season. And, you know, people are not that concerned. We're, we're not seeing masks in the country. In Ontario, I know they did reinstitute masks in hospitals and healthcare uh, facilities earlier, but uh, only recently have they implemented them in other provinces like British Columbia. Alberta is like, no, make your own decisions. There you go. Um, you know, it's um, there's some urging for people to get the updated vaccine to reduce your risk of contracting COVID-19, you know, especially if you love somebody or live with somebody or care about somebody who is immunocompromised or is going through cancer treatments or um, 
you know, you don't otherwise don't want to get sick. And then there's long COVID. People don't want to get long COVID either. And, you know, they're saying there's some evidence to support that the more frequently you've had COVID, the higher the risk of you getting uh, long COVID and, and actually having damage to some of your organs because COVID is more than just a respiratory illness as we know. Um, and so we have to really think about this and, and understand there are certain things you need to know as you head into the fall and, you know, it's okay to mask. I was on a plane recently. I literally was myself and one other person had a mask on, um, on the plane and on the way back, same deal, myself and one other person. And of course I'm sitting behind somebody who's coughing away, no mask on, you know, really, if you could have some consideration, masks do work. And I also encourage you to get your vaccine this fall. Um, just recently I had a conversation about all of this with Bruce Claggett, broadcaster at CKNW in Vancouver. And, and here's what we had to say about that. You know, you may have noticed that there are more cases around of COVID-19. More people you know may have been coming down with it. And uh, that's now backed up by new numbers that have come out on Thursday showing that uh, in all categories, including the number of hospitalizations, the number of reported cases, and of course, uh, the one that we never want to take a look at, a small number, but an increase nonetheless, the number of people passing away with COVID-19. Those are all up over a four-week period, about doubling, by the way, the number of cases. So let's bring in Maureen McGrath. She is a registered nurse and host of the Sunday Night Health Show on the Chorus Radio Network. A very good morning to Maureen and got to start off with the first and most obvious question. Is there reason when we hear about all this for us to be concerned about these numbers, Maureen? Yes, there is a reason to worry. And, and number one, there's a risk of long COVID for anybody and everybody. And we're actually seeing thicker patients who may have been asymptomatic previously, um, but they actually had cardiac injury uh, when they had COVID, especially if they went back to exercising too soon or while they were sick. So that's one reason, just for the general population, Vancouver and British Columbia, very active people, people are into their exercises, they like to get outdoors, they like to go to the gym, but sometimes people return to it too quickly if they have a COVID infection, especially if they're asymptomatic. Also people with autoimmune diseases, we have to worry about people who are experiencing things like rheumatoid arthritis, cancer, undergoing cancer treatments. Um, I have a patient in my clinical practice whose son came home from school with COVID-19. You know, the two of them live together. She's a single mom. They have to separate. You know, it's very important. She has concerns now that she may contract COVID-19. And, and so we have to think about other people, not only ourselves, but we have to think about other people as well. I think that long COVID is important. We'll get to that in a moment and pick up on what that really is. But the immunocompromised, uh, Quite often, I think, I get the feeling that we forget about that. Not everybody is equal in terms of risk. And when you hear uh, general recommendations, sometimes that doesn't apply to some people that this is very serious for. Let's uh, explain some of that. Well, you know, partly uh, advancing age places you at increased risk for complications from COVID-19. And people forget about that. And we, we're all advancing in age. And, and really, 
when we think about who's older, we start to think around age 45, 50. And so, especially if you add a comorbidity on top of that, like obesity, diabetes type two, diabetes type one, um, you know, cancer, anything like that, any type of comorbidity, hypertension, you're at greater risk for having more severe illness. Having a vaccine reduces your risk. So that's why it's important that people get their vaccinations. Now, some people like myself, I've uh, got family members who are transplant uh, recipients. And sometimes you have to stop and think about what it means for them um, in terms of your own precautions. Is this something that you end up talking with uh, some of your uh, patients in your own practice about uh, how to take care of those that may be immunocompromised, but not uh, the people themselves? Absolutely. And that's why it is so important that we monitor our own health. And if you're experiencing symptoms, and one of the things I hear from people is, I have allergies. Well, allergies, they're not really a symptom, but it can signify COVID-19. Oftentimes I hear from people, I have allergies, and I'll say, have you ever had allergies before? And they say no. Uh, but if you have symptoms of allergies, any upper respiratory symptoms, sore throat, runny nose, you should test for COVID-19. We're doing a lot less testing these days. People don't want to test because they don't want to find out that they have COVID-19 because they don't want to feel compelled to isolate and respect those quarantine recommendations. And, and so we're, people are walking around sicker. I was in a meeting the other day where somebody was coughing throughout the meeting. Um, I was moving back <laughs> and, you know, quite honestly, nobody said anything. So there's, People are not as concerned as they should be, I think. Do we still have the free kits or test kits available? I remember they were everywhere. Every pharmacy had them about a year ago. Uh, can you still get them? No, not at this time, but I imagine that, that things might change. I mean, as, as we head on a little bit further into the fall, they might be available and um, also um, there might be some masking recommendations. I know that some healthcare authorities across Canada have suggested uh, masking when entering into the healthcare authorities. We might be seeing that in Vancouver, the provincial health officer hinted at that recently. So we may see some changes um, around coming around that as well. Now, those that are able to test at home and track down one of the uh, testing kits or still have some that are left, uh, they test positive. Uh, the protocols from that are usually to keep quiet about it, stay at home, recover, and then go back to work. I say uh, keep quiet about it because you don't report that in. How do we know how many people actually have COVID if they're dealing with it themselves as opposed to two years ago when everybody reported everything? Right. Um, well, we're looking at wastewater levels of COVID-19. And so that's one way that indicates the trends as well. Um, there are some lab tests that are being done in British Columbia, although not as many as in the past. But lab testing rates also increased. Um, the positivity rate was 39 per 100,000 population in the first week, and they increased to 59 per 100,000 in the latest week of reporting. So people are still getting lab tests, but mostly people are probably doing the antigen test at home and they're not being reported, but we can see that through the wastewater level. We're talking about why we should be concerned, if we should be concerned and the degree of concern with that. And along those lines comes the other part of it. 
people talking about this idea of long COVID. And why are we more concerned about COVID this fall and long COVID when uh, when we start hearing about these increases? Well, Maureen, what do you say about this? Well, the weather gets colder. We have a tendency to go indoors. We have a tendency to gather indoors. With people who feel that COVID is over, COVID was never over. The pandemic might be over, but COVID has not left us. And we're going to see it much like the flu, which is why there's a new vaccine, an updated vaccine. It's not a booster for the fall, but it's an updated vaccine. And so it's important, much like the flu vaccine, to get your COVID vaccine because coronaviruses mutate. And so we're going to see different variants each year, and they're going to try and target those particular variants each year. But, you know, a lot of people are a bit more lackadaisical about COVID. They feel that it's nothing to worry about. It's just a cold. It hasn't impacted them in the way that it has potentially impacted other people who maybe lost two grandparents to COVID-19 unnecessarily, or who maybe have a sick child who has long COVID now. Um, And so we have to be, this is something we have to be concerned about for everybody. And as we gather for the holidays and as we go back to school and, and people head back into the offices, there's a lot of companies that are expecting or wanting their employer employees to go back to work. You know, we really need to take some protection. We need to actually protect ourselves and protect others. And in particular, you don't know, I was at a meeting, as I mentioned the other day, 12 people sitting around a table, you don't know who may have an autoimmune disease sitting at that table or who might be worried about their their wife or their father who's undergoing cancer treatment. Well, yeah, exactly. I'm always concerned anytime I get into a room, I'm not wearing a mask all the time. My wife wears a mask all the time. So does my son. But uh, myself, I do wear a mask when I end up in an enclosed space with lots of people around. Um, That's just common sense to me. But we all seem to have our areas of comfort. But is it something that is really our area of comfort or is it something that should be seen as risk-based? What do you recommend? Well, I recommend just using some common sense here. You know, I... I would not go to an indoor gathering <laughs> of a large number of people in the fall. You know, I, I, I'm I'm cautiously <laughs> pessimistic here. Um, I, I have to say I would be concerned about an indoor party where there were no windows open or it wasn't outside um, because you just never know. People assume they don't have COVID. I assume they do. And, and so it's concerning. In the summertime, I have to say, I felt freer. I did spend a lot more time outdoors. But as we go indoors, I would be, I am more comfortable, people I know, people that I'm comfortable asking, are you feeling sick? You know, have you had COVID? Are you vaccinated? Kind of a thing. Understanding, because there's, there's a lot of different thoughts on vaccines, of course. There's a lot of different thoughts on how the, this is transmitted, you know, People are, they're not up to speed on it necessarily. And some people just aren't concerned. And some people are just very tired of COVID. But I really don't want to get COVID. Knock on wood, Bruce, I'm, I'm happy to report I haven't gotten COVID yet. Oh, I hear you completely about uh, <laughs> being uh, not wanting to get COVID. I had it once and it came from uh, uh, a relative who traveled and didn't know they had COVID uh, that they caught on a plane. Um uh-huh. So that's what happened to me. Uh, 
But the other concern with it, and we hear this every once in a while, is this term long COVID. What is long COVID? And why are people kind of getting a little bit more concerned about this now than uh, than they have maybe talked about in the past? Well, long COVID is basically persistent COVID. The symptoms don't go away. You recover from COVID-19, but you're still experiencing certain symptoms um, post that COVID-19 infection. And so they can last for a long time. They can affect your breathing. A lot of people um, describe brain fog, uh, fatigue, and cognitive function. So these things really impact your quality of life. But there's been more than 200 symptoms that have actually been reported in patients. So the list is very long. People will have difficulty speaking. Some describe anxiety, depression, muscle aches, fever, loss of smell, loss of taste. I was reading an article recently about some physicians who had gone to work, you know, to treat patients with COVID. Some just starting out their careers only offered surgical masks. And it was one story of a, of a female physician who was just starting out and she got COVID and she has long COVID. She's actually had to have to give up, has had to give up her career. She's had to give up her house and she's moved back in with her parents. Well, there you have it. My thoughts on COVID for the fall. And as we head back indoors, as the temperatures become chillier and you gather with friends and families and people that you love, well, be considerate of them and understand that there might be a reason they don't want to get COVID-19. And with good reason, we're seeing more and more COVID-19 long infections or long COVID. We're also not really sure what it's doing to different parts of our body, um, what it's doing to the brain, cognition, what it's doing to your muscles, your heart. So, you know, I would avoid this virus <laughs> as much as possible. And a lot of people are complacent. There's vaccine fatigue as well, as I mentioned, and COVID fatigue or pandemic fatigue. But, you know, it's important that we utilize some of those strategies like mask wearing, like staying away and not going somewhere if you're sick. Try not to go to work if you're sick and hopefully businesses will be understanding about that. There's lots of work. We've proven people can work from home during the pandemic. And so you can certainly work from home and protect some of your colleagues as well. Did I just give you a good idea to play hooky? Anyway, um, but, you know, we've proven that. So you don't have to go to work if you're feeling unwell. Um, there may be people who are immunocompromised at work or somebody may have a family member that is immunocompromised as well. So, you know, it's just a time we have to be a little bit more aware and a little bit considerate about other people. And um, even though masks are not mandated in certain places, probably a good idea to wear one if the risk is higher. Like if you're going to be with a number of different people in a, um, in a uh, small, in small quarters, you know, ventilation is also important and uh, because this is an airborne virus. And so it's important that our school systems have good ventilation and offices have good ventilation and um, good systems actually MERV 13 or higher uh, to prevent uh, transmission of COVID-19. All of that's helpful. Hand washing. Did I mention that? Hand washing, hand washing, hand washing. I get way less colds and viruses and illnesses since I've been wearing a mask. Of course, I'm around a lot of patients 
um, in my clinical practice. And so oftentimes they're older and, you know, they're at higher risk of contracting uh, respiratory illnesses as well. And because their immune systems aren't as strong as when people are younger and um, they also are at greater risk of contracting COVID-19 as well. And they may not be able to fight it as well as somebody else. So be considerate. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.